to another Geeks Crossing podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Matt. Here to give you all the best geek-related content you could ask for. And my God, part four, Matt. Part four, a series we started at the tail end of September, and it is now December, the time you're listening to this, or at least the time this is out. And we're already up to four. That's crazy. That's our dedication right there, our determination, and our love of this series. It seemed like only yesterday, the two of us started talking about total drama as a whole. And then we decided to break it out into a mini-series, talking about the seasons individually. Mm-hmm. We've been through Total Drama Island, Total Drama Action, and Total Drama World Tour at this point, which, if you haven't seen those episodes, probably go listen to those first, because this is a little mini-series you've stumbled upon. But if you're all caught up, we are now about to talk about Season 4, Total Drama Revenge of the Island. Emphasis on the island. Yes, the island that we have not seen since the end of Season 2 with the big action finale then there was a year in between action and the manhunt reunion special then there was a year between world tour and revenge so it's been roughly two or three years since anyone's really been to the island so you may be asking yourself what's been up uh what's going on with wawanakwa (laughs) well uh, in this universe chris has um loaned out the island to a toxic waste disposal company so in the real world you know, when we have things like nuclear power, we have waste to dispose of. And so how does the Total Drama universe decide to solve this waste disposal? Just dump it all on Wawanakwa. What could happen? Okay, so riddle me this. If you guys thought Chris didn't care about his contestants competing in a film lot without the proper safety protocols, or on a cargo plane that's falling apart, Chris certainly doesn't give a shit about his contestants competing in a nuclear waste dump. <laughs> This only solidifies how sinister and inconsiderate Chris is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so season four, broadly speaking, this is kind of a change in the Total Drama formula. You can kind of group Total Drama Island action and world tour together because it's the same cast for the most part, with the exceptions of Sierra and Alejandro and, I guess, Blaine Lee, who joined late. And each season has a little bit of a in-between special. So, like, there's a special connecting island in action, and a special connecting action world tour. Season four, Revenge of the Island, things are different now. We're done with specials. Uh, the seasons aren't 26 episodes anymore. Every episode is now an elimination episode. So the stakes are higher. The challenges are different. The writing is even different. The characters are totally changed. We'll talk about it as we go through it. But as you can hear from just me saying that, we're in a new era of total drama now. Things are different. Even even the writing staff is different at this point. Um, if you even if you look at the episodes, a lot of the old writers have kind of moved on. We got new writers coming in. It's almost like a new stage, a new chapter in total drama. Since we have a new cast this season, it's drastically smaller than the original cast. Instead of having twenty two contestants, we have thirteen. Mm hmm. 13 contestants. Uh, The only season that's come close to this amount was Action, which had 14 contestants. But even then, two of them were kicked out right right off the bat, pretty much. And they had non-elimination rounds, 26 episodes long. This case, 13 contestants, and we're going to fly right through them. You know, only 13 episodes, so you can't really get too attached to a lot of these guys. First off, we have Joe. She's pretty much what I like to call a tamed version of Eva. Yeah. Kind of the sporty girl. She's a parody of the uh, gym teacher, I think, from Glee. 
which I remember reading on like a fun facts page back in the day. And if you look at a picture of that character, they look exactly the same. Um, a trend you'll start to notice in this season, which we'll pick up in future seasons, is you get a lot of those parody characters. Honestly, I didn't <laughs> know that. Yeah, that, so there's your fun fact for the day. I'm going to look up the character now, actually. Um, I'm pretty sure they even parody like the voice, the voice actress of it. Yeah, Sue Sylvester from Glee is, uh, is Joe's inspiration. You could even see the tracksuit and the same haircut. <laughs> uh, but again, we're going to get into all the characters a little more as they start doing things. But we're introducing them. We have Sam, the gamer, which <laughs> I relate to wholeheartedly. Oh, Sam's awesome. <laughs> Love Sam. We have Dawn, the aura whisperer. Mm-hmm. And continuing the trend of parody characters, Dawn is a parody of Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter. We have B, who's literally silent yeah he's like a, a techie guy like he builds all sorts of gadgets and stuff pretty smart dude but yeah never says a word then we have lightning who's just like tyler except a lot more dickish yeah definitely more of a try hard a lot less sociable like a lot less friendly looking to make alliances and stuff like tyler was kind of more friendly easygoing lightning's a try hard like he wants to show off next we have greg who went to military camp so yeah. obviously he <laughs> takes his military pride very seriously he has a sense of honor, you know, a heart of gold, and a, even a soft side. <laughs> a little brick. Continuing from parody characters, we have Amaria, who's basically <laughs> Snooky from the Jersey Shore. Yeah, if you've ever like, seen, like, the Jersey Shore, she's just every joke and line on that show. <laughs> next, we have Dakota, who's spoiled rich girl. Never seen that before, but she's mostly in for the fame rather than the money. Yeah, which is interesting. I think she's a, a parody of Paris Hilton. I think they say her last name's Hilton or something in one episode, and it's, like, supposed to be a little joke. I thought it was Milton. Oh, maybe it's Milton, then. Just they didn't want to do Hilton. <laughs> but either way, that is a Paris Hilton parody, then. Next up, we have Scott. He grew up on a dirt farm, but he's very sinister. Yeah, yeah, kind of this cunning, lowly little rat. No pun intended, because he's a toxic rat. <laughs> we have Zoe, the nice girl, who's really just wants to make friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of in it to, to meet people. Um, I think it, it's mentioned that she's watched Total Drama before, so a, a little bit like Sierra. You know, we have a character who has who knows the show that she's getting into. But she's not on the obsession level of Sierra. <laughs> oh, God, God, no. <laughs> yeah, no. And since we mentioned Zoe, we might as well talk about Mike. My God, he's my favorite out of all these new characters. Really? I know Mike's a very controversial character. Uh, some, I've, I've seen people who love him, people who hate him. I'm not a huge fan of Mike, but that's interesting. So you, you like Mike. He's a nice guy, but he suffers from multiple personality disorder, which isn't something we're supposed to joke about. But the way the show portrays him, it's entertaining in a way. Mm -hmm. Next, we got my second favorite, Cameron. He's pretty much the nerd of this generation. Yeah, picture like Harold and Cody combined. Like he's weak and scrawny and little, but he's also really, really smart. He's and, and he's friendly and he's a good guy. You know, he's definitely looking to help others, which will become apparent when he forms an alliance with Mike. And last but not least, okay. No, yeah. Should I even <laughs> say that part? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stacy. What can I say about Stacy? Yeah, I think that's exactly. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I don't think we have to say anything about Stacy. Arguably the least relevant character in the entire series because she only appears like I guess twice. So yeah. And her second appearance isn't even that relevant. She was <laughs> yeah. just in the spectator booth. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, spoiler alert for those of you who really were hoping she was going to make it far. <laughs> All right. Pretty solid stuff. And I have on my computer now our Total Drama Revenge of the Island episode list. So 
I'm ready to get into that when you are. Bigger, badder, brutaler. Mm-hmm. Well, first, I should say the show starts off. Chris strolls out to Wawanaqua and fakes us all out by showcasing every single of the 24 previous generations contestants on a yacht seemingly on their way to compete. I remember as a kid, I was really, really excited for that. And then the yacht drives right past. And instead, Chris says, no, no, no. Those guys are past their prime. We got 13 newbies. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> One last hurrah from the original cast. Yeah, the last time we've really seen them all in like together, which is so weird with all the in-between specials and the seasons and the peanut gallery and the finales. And that was it. That's the last we've seen of everybody. But... Chris doesn't waste any time, you know, with the with the sappiness and instead just kind of introduces each new contestant one by one on another boat. And then Chris blows up their boat. <laughs> yes, forcing them all to swim to shore. Um, and while on the beach, Chris challenges all of them to race into the woods where he will explain to them what happens next. But first, the teams have to be decided. Yeah. We have the toxic rats consisting of B, Dakota, Dawn, Lightning, Sam, Scott, and Stacy. And then the next team uh, is the Mutant Maggots, consisting of, at least initially, Brick, Anne Maria, Mike, Zoe, Cameron, and Joe. Actually, fun little inference or digression really quick. We have been talking throughout about the different ways each season picks the teams. What do you think about this? The little, like, race that they decide to do. It was fairly simple, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I thought it was a little weird how it was like, oh, you came, you crossed the finish line, your team won. Then you came after, your team two. Then you got third place, your team won. Then you came after him, your like. I was like, ah, eh, I don't know. It's a little inter- It, it kind of seemed a little gimmicky to get the teams the way that, that Chris wanted them, or the writers wanted them. But whatever. Moving along, I guess. Um, so the teams are tasked with climbing up a tree and uh, getting each team's totem pole, like a large statue of either a maggot or a rat. And uh, sledding it or finding a way to get it down a mountain in front of a cabin. In this case, there's a normal, cruddy, Wawanaqua classic cabin. And a really, really nice, high-end, almost little mansion of a cottage. And obviously, if you get there first, you can claim whichever cabin you want. Your ideal is to choose that one. Unfortunately, both teams are racing down the mountain. And uh, the losers, the Toxic Rats, they launch their... um, totem into that mansion destroying it and earning themselves not only elimination because again they made it their last but also both teams have to settle for cruddy classic wawanaqua cabins (laughs) but not before getting another cameo from owen who manages (laughs) to swim all the way back to the island only for chris to reveal that he's not competing (laughs) chris thank god i'm here you want to know something weird the boat didn't stop Oh, look, it's Owen, who's not competing this season. (laughs) Yeah, so I swam back to tell you, what? Not competing. And what does Chris do to everybody's favorite classic competitor? Slaps a fucking dynamite on his face. Again, this is a new writing staff. The seasons of Revenge and Beyond are a lot more cartoony. Not to say jumping out of a plane like 20 times isn't cartoony. It is. But, you know, in previous seasons we would have characters oh they they landed uh they had a bad fall and they had to go to the infirmary this case there's just casually a c4 strapped to owen's face and he just is assumed to be fine it's very interesting again we're a lot more cartooniness 
um, which, you know, depends on if you like it or not. Um, I know people have their preferences, but definitely different. <laughs> we would not have really seen that in the past. And because this is the first episode, we get to see a lot of themes or conflicts start to blossom. Yeah, yeah, relationships and conflicts alike. People making friends, people getting crushes, villains revealing their motives, enemies being made. I don't know if you, do any have come to mind for you? Because I can think of a few. One that comes to mind is Joe and Brick. Yes, both very strong physically, so they start butting heads. We also see the beginning of Joe and Cameron, both mutant maggots. Joe doesn't really like or respect Cameron. He kind of, she sees him as this, this kind of like scrawny little nerd who's not going to be useful at all during the challenges. We see Mike and Zoe start flirting a little bit. Um, and on the toxic rat side, we see pretty good synergy, honestly. The team's working well together. Sam kind of catches feels for Dakota. It's kind of cute, even though Dakota's so like far out of his league. <laughs> and we see the beginning of Scott, who reveals in the confessional that he wants to try throwing the challenges for his team as an easy way to kick off other players. Makes you wonder who's going to be the villain of this season. <laughs> yeah, right? Although I got to give this season a little credit. They do kind of reveal a lot of sort of strict, no-nonsense characters. I mean, right off the bat, you got Joe and Scott, who are both kind of almost villainy. But I almost view Joe more like Courtney and Island, Like, not a villain, but more like an anti-hero, just kind of a, a mean character. Whereas Heather was obviously the villain that season. Joe is never really treated as the villain this season. Uh, spoiler alert for All-Stars, she will eventually be treated as a villain. But Scott is really the, the major threat, or at least to the writers and to the audience. To the contestants, they're not, they don't really suspect him, but yeah. And going back to Mike, we get introduced to the first of his many multiple personalities, Chester, <laughs> a grouchy old man who always complains. <laughs> Chester is easily my favorite because of his aneurysms. <laughs> it is pretty funny, although we must uh, once again bring up that nobody knows about his multiple personality disorder. At this point, they just think Chester's some joke he's doing, and he hasn't told anyone at this stage in the game what's going on. Thank you, Mindy. We don't need fancy saws or axes to cut rope. We just hit a fine with stone. Chucks a stone at a mutant chipmunk, blasts his lasers at him. Yeah! <laughs> oh, I forgot to bring that up. The reason why uh, they're the toxic rats, the mutant maggots, and uh, you know the effects of all this radiation is Wawanaqua has become heavily, heavily mutated. There are living plants. There is toxic, like, sludge everywhere. The animals, you know, the little chipmunks, the deer, the little beavers, they're all insane mutants, too. So that is a theme this whole season, pretty much, is dealing with all that. I just remembered one of the characters, I forgot who it was, is like, what's all the themes related to toxic waste? <laughs> and Chris was like, don't worry, it'll make sense eventually. <laughs> and then he does his maniacal laugh. <laughs> Did I mention that Chris is going the deep end with this season? Yeah, so another complaint I see a lot in Total Drama Circles about the writing. Uh, again, these are all new writers for the most part, or at least newer writers. A lot more cartoony, and as a result, Chris has kind of become just like a cartoon supervillain. <laughs> Not really just like the sort of a jerk, um, but still kind of... Gra somewhat grounded jerk now he's just flat out like yeah okay you could die like now there's a mutant chipmunk right behind you if you don't run away you will die like whatever haha -ha, it's funny and a lot of people find that very funny a lot of people say this kind of suspense like this is jumping the shark but you know whatever but it is worth noting and chef 
after World Tour never really becomes as big of a character, which is a shame because I think we we can both say we do love Chef. <laughs> and World Tour is probably his last big season as a character. Um, for the most part, he's here, but he doesn't really say or do very much. Except for one or two episodes, but we'll get to those eventually. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, Toxic Rats lose the first episode. Even though Scott does reveal that he's going to start trying to throw the challenge to target people he doesn't like, I think all the Toxic Rats agree in this stage in the game who has to go. You know, they had some pretty decent synergy, but the whole time... There was one contestant who was incredibly annoying to everyone, not shutting up about her family history, all of which are presumably not true because her label is the compulsive liar. No, the eliminated contestant is Stacy. <laughs> I was not surprised by that whatsoever. I think I knew within the first five minutes she was going to get eliminated. Yeah, it's interesting. Unlike an island, which, you know, I guess the three the three stages of the game where we get totally new characters are Island, Revenge of the Island, and Pocket 2 Island. Island was the only time where you kind of really don't know who's going to get eliminated first. At this stage in the game, it's like, okay, this character's clearly such a gimmick. They just want, they just kind of wrote her in to kick her out first. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened, Eric. As you said, you could kind of see it coming. So now, at the elimination ceremonies, to keep up with the toxic waste steam, the eliminated contestant gets the marshmallow of Loserdome which in actuality is a marshmallow dipped in toxic waste. <laughs> and instead of the dock of shame, the walk of shame, or the, what is it, the drop of shame? The drop of shame, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This time we have the hurl of shame, where Chris launches the eliminated contestants through a freaking catapult. <laughs> yes, again, uh, this season is the start of much more cartooniness. I guess it just wouldn't, wasn't satisfying enough to the writers to just have them go on the boat. Instead, they have to be launched away by a comically large catapult. So make of that what you will. It's bye-bye, Stacy. I thought episode one was a solid introduction to the season, but there's definitely better episodes, in my opinion. Yeah, this episode has some quirks. I personally think the introduction to all the characters is very, very rushed. How they're all on the boat together. Chris says their name. They have, like, one line, and then they move on to the next one. I thought it was very rushed. I think it would have benefited from an episode like the first episode of Island, where it was split in two. But again, we're working with 13 episodes now. They have to kind of work with what they got. Even if they only had to have 12 contestants or something, and they, they just split this into a two-parter, I think it would have been a little bit more just. Characters would have been more fleshed out. But I agree, Eric. Fairly standard episode. Pretty cool seeing uh, the oldies one last time, and pretty cool introduction to the newbies. Episode 2, Truth or Laser Shark. Yes, so uh, in this case, there's two challenges. Both teams go on a sort of almost like are you smarter than a fifth grader like style little setup where they both sit across from each other. Chris reveals embarrassing truths and whoever did the embarrassing truth has to fess up or the team loses a point. However, they prove so good at this that Chris later switches challenges entirely and they do a sort of wipeout themed uh, obstacle course. And obviously whoever goes in last place has to send somebody home. It's also noted that whoever won the first challenge gets a distinct advantage during the second challenge. But here's the problem. Everyone kept on bickering about, oh, whether they should reveal who's secret or not, that Chris decided that no one should have any benefits for the second challenge. <laughs> yep. And instead he gives penalties to both teams. Uh, in this case, uh, they have to wear really foggy, thick glasses, which make them very hard to see through the obstacle course. While carrying their team mascots... <laughs> For the mutant maggots, 
and actual mutant maggots. <laughs> and for toxic rats, obviously, a toxic rat. Mm-hmm. You know, we got some nice wipeout moments here or there. I did laugh a little when Brick took a freaking cannibal to the face. Or when B distracted those mutant beavers. Mm-hmm. It's also noted that Scott was cheating during the challenge because he only wore the foggy glasses up to his eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, he could peer beneath them. But despite B's best efforts and despite, you know, Scott's cheating, <laughs> the Toxic Rats lose another challenge, mostly due to Dakota. At this point in the game, she has had her phone confiscated. Sam has had his game guy confiscated. They kind of bond over this, which is sweet. But Dakota, ever fame hungry, is just too distracted, too, I guess, self-absorbed to really pay attention. Um, and she f- falls short at the very end. And uh, the other team, the Mutant Maggots, are able to claim victory. Thanks to Cameron, who thanks to Cameron, who Joe belittled earlier in the episode. Yeah, so Cameron kind of tries to prove himself to his team. He ends up doing so. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, Eric, this is the introduction to another one of Mike's personalities, correct? Correct. Svetlana, a Russian acrobat. <laughs> yes, as a gymnast, she effortlessly leaps her way um, in and out of the various obstacles. And I, we should say ahead of time, Mike's personalities are triggered by certain events. Stress and anger trigger Chester, and in this case we learn athletic situations will trigger uh, Svetlana. But Mike's not the only one that gets triggered. Even though we said that Zoe is the nice girl, if you double-cross her, she won't hesitate to kick you in the balls. <laughs> Take the Mune Beepers, for example. <laughs> Speaking of character growth and character development, we also see um, the introduction of a major, major season-long rivalry when Scott accidentally comes in contact with the tooth of a large mutated shark named Fang. This shark is not happy about having his tooth stolen, and so for the rest of the season, starting in this episode, he will swear vengeance against Scott. But before we elaborate on that, we have to go to the elimination ceremony. Mm-hmm. No surprise, Dakota gets eliminated. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, Sam desperately tries to convince his teammates that, you know, save Dakota. It's not her fault. But everybody's kind of fed up with her. And even though Dawn seems sympathetic, Dawn says if Dakota sticks around, bad things are going to happen to her. So in the end, she agrees to vote her off too. Dakota is the second contestant eliminated from the season, despite begging not to go. She is eliminated. I also like Lightning's little outburst when they lost. He was like, I can't believe it. Lightning's on a team of losers. Hey, (laughs) come on. Winningness and everything. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Episode 3, Ice Ice Baby. An uncanny reference to Vanilla Ice's hit song, Mm, Ice Ice Baby. The contestants are tasked with, or I should say the teams are tasked with, climbing up a large vertical mountain to get a bunch of junk on top with which they should use to build a fort, uh, or at least protect a snow fort. And whoever has their snow fort standing at the end, or whoever has their flag in a game of capture the flag, wins. And whoever either loses their flag or loses their fort, in this case both will happen, spoiler alert, they lose the challenge. Not gonna lie, when you were doing that boom 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 boom, I thought you were gonna rap for a second. I was like, oh god, Matt, what are you doing? <laughs> no, no, just the uh, the classic intro to Vanilla Eyes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I actually like this episode a lot, especially the first half. I really like when they're all climbing the uh, to the top of the mountain because we get to see some rival, some new rivalries. 
we start seeing that Scott is getting very weary of B because B is extremely helpful to his team, which obviously foils Scott's plans of throwing the challenge. And we see Joe getting fed up at yet another one of her teammates, in this case, Anne Maria, who is extremely petty and self-absorbed, kind of like Dakota, but much more like dim-witted <laughs> to the point where she cares about her hair, her tan. And while she's wasting time, Joe is trying to win things for her team. And unaware to her, she developed another rivalry against Lightning, who he mistakes her as a guy. <laughs> that's right, because she's named Joe. He thinks that's like Joe J-O-E, not Joe J-O. <laughs> she was like, prepare to lose to a girl again. What girl? Lightning doesn't lose to a girl. <laughs> that's one of my favorite things about Lightning. Like, when he got mistaken Joe for a man. <laughs> we'll elaborate more on that later. Yeah, that, that'll get much bigger uh, as the season goes on, but that starts too, yeah. So, the Toxic Rats win the first challenge, and then during the second challenge, it looked like they were going to win because B created, I want to say, a mirror. What was it? A giant Yeah, B created, like, this mirror out of glass to start melting the other team's fort. But Scott ends up, like, subtly moving it so it melts his own fort. And then blaming B. God damn it, Scott. Mm-hmm. And sadly, B is unable to defend himself because he doesn't really do the whole talking thing. <laughs> and so when the toxic rats lose, they fall for Scott's version of events. Just like how Amory falls for Mike's next personality, Vito. <laughs> oh, yes. At one point in the challenge, Mike loses his shirt, triggering another personality, Vito, who is... You know, at the uh, behest of rhyming, a stereotypical Guido, you know, big into his uh, physical physique, into very self-absorbed matters, you know, just obsessed with himself. Like, hey, yo, like that kind of thing. <laughs> Short-tempered. And Anne-Maria can't get enough of it. Which means trouble for Zoe. Mm-hmm. Because Vito can't get enough of Anne-Maria either. And since nobody knows he has multiple personality disorder yet, Zoe sees this as just, okay, why is Mike flirting with Anne-Maria now? Like, while doing another one of his characters. Except for Cameron, but we'll get to mm. that later. Yes. But first, another rat has to get exterminated. <laughs> In yes. this case, it's B. But before B can get eliminated, we get a surprise return from Dakota, who reveals that she doesn't care about the money. So like you said, she's only in for the fame. And Chris was going to allow her back on one condition. He has to hire her as an intern. Mm -hmm. Which is very interesting, because this is the first time ever we had a contestant actually work for Chris. I mean, granted, yeah. we've seen that with Owen in action, but we're talking about legitimately work for Chris. Yeah, not like, oh, be a contestant, but secretly report to Chris. No, in this case, it's literally, she's out of the competition, totally gave up her chance at the million. She's just an intern now, on and off, like just doing little assignments. It's kind of crazy. And it should be noted that Chris treats his interns very, very poorly in this series. <laughs> so yeah. if you think Dakota's going to get any special treatment because she's a contestant, oh no. Yeah, that's not happening. Episode four, Finders Creepers. Yes, it's the it's a night challenge, and one by one contestants are getting picked off, leading both teams to have to figure out on a wild goose chase what's going on and how they can stop it. Eventually, leading them to a large cave with a spider and uh, many of their kidnapped, webbed up former teammates. So it's kind of a mystery to see who exactly uh, which team can save the day. Yep. So that's the synopsis of the challenge itself. And with every teammate that you lose, you receive a penalty. Mm. Majority of the episodes is just them wandering around the forest or whatever. We once again get the return of Vito because while searching for Zoe, 
Mike Sher gets ripped off again, and him and Amaria start blossoming a relationship, much to Zoe's horror. Yeah. More leadership conflicts between Brick and Joe. Sam panicking at the Toxic Rats because, oh, if we keep losing any more teammates, we're going to get penalized. And Scott's like, yo, calm your shit. We'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, the Scott-Sam dynamic is pretty funny in this episode. I did like it. I did like how Sam was trying to teach Scott this, like, technique he learned in a fighting game. How to defeat a giant squid. Duck, <laughs> duck, jump, punch. No, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, so we get some funny moments like that. And ultimately, uh, this is once again another challenge, too, where Cameron kind of has to prove himself a little bit to Joe, to his teammates. And ultimately, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the Toxic Rats win this one, right? Yeah, because Joe ordered Brick to leave him behind so he can finish the challenge. But like we keep saying before, with every teammate you lose, you receive a penalty. There's three contestants who survived, and after all those two are Sam and Scott, which means the Toxic Rats win. Much to Brick's dismay because he went against his code of conduct. Never leave a man behind. Mm -hmm. So disgraced and ashamed, he volunteers himself for elimination before um, Chris can even announce what's going on next. But ultimately, this proves to be, uh, you know, kind of a lucky break for him. Chris announces that this is not an elimination round. And in fact, Brick will just be switching teams and joining the Toxic Rats. Meaning that for the first time, Brick and Joe will be directly competing with each other, not on the same team competing for leadership, but competing, competing with each other. So, uh, prove interesting. We also get a cameo from Izzy, who turns out to be the giant spider that's been harassing everybody. <laughs> yep. Along the way, Cameron gets over his, spirit, his fear of spiders and instead develops a fear of Izzy. Hey, I don't blame him. <laughs> this is also the first, we should say, or I guess maybe Owen in the first episode is the first of several contestant, original contestant cameos, which are going to pick up from this point on. You know, always good to see some members of the old cast. Episode 5, Backstabbers Ahoy. Mm -hmm. The uh, contestants are tasked with sort of doing this, uh, what is it called? A, a jet ski race, yes. A jet ski race around Lake Wawanaqua in which they have to launch mutant seagulls at the other jet ski along the way pulling one of their own members down the bottom of the lake in an old-timey diving suit for them to collect uh what were they collecting again i think they had to grab their equipment great yeah or equipment or something and whoever didn't do this or did this bad enough or did this poorly or didn't finish would be sending someone home at first the toxic rats had a hard time dealing with brick because you know they're not used to waking up at six in the morning or some shit like that yeah military man and they find his military session annoying especially scott mm -hmm. which led to a funny moment where he tried shoving brick's alarm clock down the toilet and all the water backwashed into scott's face <laughs> and during yeah. the first part of the challenge we get a cameo from bridget who she and dakota had to demonstrate the first part of the challenge Oh, yes, in a canoe, even though Bridget was very angry to be back. But Chris, of course, didn't care at all. <laughs> Did she say, like, I'm only doing a demonstration, got it? Yeah, like, my contract says I only have to do a demonstration <laughs> or something like that. And what she had to demonstrate, <laughs> what happens when you come in close contact with the mine? <laughs> Again, we got another former contestant blowing up, <laughs> joining the likes of Owen. So, yeah. The Toxic Rats win the first part of the challenge. Because yes. the Mew Maggots kept on bickering, mostly mm -hmm. Zoe and Amaria. Oh, true. And of course, since this is a 
a water challenge, they're all going to have to be in swimwear, meaning Mike will be taking his shirt off. Not good for the drama between Zoe and Anne Maria. It's also noted that throughout the episode, the contestants are missing their valuable items. Little did they realize it was Scott who's been stealing all of them, so we mm-hmm. can blame on Brick. Yeah, again, he's sick of Brick. He doesn't like him. He wants him gone. And so that's at least his plan initially. And then uh, the challenge goes on, fairly even-paced. No team is really doing super well for the beginning portion. For winning the first challenge, the Toxic Rats get an actual jet ski, while the Mew Maggots get a shitty lifeboat or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, it's not as fun for the Mutant Maggots during the competition. But as you should have learned by this point in Revenge of the Island, you should never count down, or you should never bet against the Mutant Maggots, because the Toxic Rats, of course, lose it all. Because they only have three seagulls in each gun, they only have to shoot two at the three mines to win. Naturally, they're tied up, but Scott, being Scott, wastes their last ammo, claiming that, oh, Joe must have got a lucky shot on Sam, but Dawn <laughs> knows that's bullshit. <laughs> Dawn, of course, being very meditative, in tune, psychoanalytical, able to see through Scott, and is deeply, deeply distrustful of him. And because both teams have no more seagulls, what does Joe do? She fucking chucks Cameron at one of the mines. <laughs> she was like, time to take one for the team, String Bean. And by take <laughs> one for the team, you mean, bruh, how the hell is he still alive from that? <laughs> cartoon logic, man, I'm telling you. We are entering a new era of cartooniness in this series. Just going back to World Tour for a second, even. Okay, so, as we established, Dawn knows that Scott sabotaged her team, and she's going to expose him during the elimination ceremony. But... Scott overheard her in the confessional, so what does he do? He puts all the stolen items into Dawn's bag and pins it on her, turning her team against her. Yeah, they believe Scott, and uh, they uh, agree to vote off Dawn. So at the next elimination ceremony, it is Dawn who is going to be the one to take the fall this time around. Granted, she tried saving herself with what seemed to be the McLean invincibility statue, which is something we should have established before. Like basically. Oh, yes. Somewhere there's a wooden statue of Chris, and if you find it, you can save yourself from elimination. Mm -hmm. Just once, though. Yeah, and so Dawn claims she's found it. However, Chris is able to notice that it is a fraud, and so Dawn is eliminated from the game. Before she can expose Scott, she is... Makes you wonder who made that fraud statue. True. (laughs) Obviously, it's the, the whittler... Scott. So something interesting that I noticed while I was just talking there about the teams, unlike an island where the teams are kind of pretty decently close, or at least if they're not close, there's themes about how not close they are. You have characters talking to each other, teams going closer, strategizing. That really doesn't happen here. Like, it's interesting that we're like four or five episodes in, and when Scott says, hey guys, Dawn did this thing, nobody actually questions and says, oh no, I've talked to Dawn, I don't think she would do that, or no, I don't know if Dawn seems like the kind of person to do that. Everyone's just kind of like, yeah, she probably did. All right, I mean, the proof seems to be here. Which is interesting. Again, it's very different than the writing of earlier seasons where the teams would talk a lot more. Again, this is problem gets worse with All-Stars and Pocket 2, which when we get to those, oh boy, I'm going to lay, lay into it. But the teams aren't really as tight. You have characters who need to talk to each other, talk to each other, and that's about it. You know, Scott will talk to Dawn in this episode. You'll have Joe talk to Cameron. You'll have Mike talk to Zoe. But you don't have, like, Mike talk to Joe. You know, you don't have Lightning talk to Dawn. I don't know. It's interesting. 
but certain characters seem like they don't really talk to each other. The team dynamic is not nearly as strong as it is in earlier seasons. Well, part is that too, the cast being severely limited. Yeah, the cast so, is severely limited and the episode count is severely limited too. So they're purposely rushing everything. Yeah, because like take a season like action, even though the cast is tiny, there's like 26 episodes. So there's a lot of time for the characters to get to know each other or at least talk a little bit, strategize a little bit. And that, that stuff doesn't really happen as much in this season. And spoiler alert in All-Stars and, and Pocket 2 as well. Yeah, but I, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. That's just a broad complaint I have about Revenge of the Island. But we can blaze on forward to the next episode. Episode 6, Runaway Model. Yeah, so the teams are tasked with finding a model out of all of the crazy fauna in Wawanaqua. And once they find the fauna, they have to build an outfit for it and kind of walk them down a runway in a fashion show parody judged by Chris and former contestant Lindsay. Yes. (laughs) So um, we have some interesting new teams for the first time, not ever in the show, but in this season. We have an all-guy team. Dawn's been kicked out of Toxic Rats, so it is just Sam, Brick, Scott, and Lightning. Of course, it's not like the mutant maggots are getting along really much better anyway, because you still got Zoe and Anna Maria at each other's throats. You got Mike hiding this multiple personality disorder. You have Joe with these really high expectations for everybody. You have Cameron, who really can't live up to those expectations. So there's pressure on everyone. Especially our man Sam, who's literally treated as the underdog for the now temporary all-guys team. Yeah, I mean, if you look around at his team, it makes sense. You got Scott, who is, you know, fairly athletic, crafty. And you got Brick and Lightning, who are, you know, professionally fit. Lightning plays football for a living. Brick is an army guy. So everybody around him is really fit, strong, crafty. And then you got Sam, kind of dopey a little bit, kind of (laughs) chubby. So... He kind of does feel like a fish out of water on his team now. And to make matters worse for him, Chris confiscated all of his video game handhelds. So without video games, Sam is slowly losing his sanity. And he begins to hallucinate the world around him as a video game. Which, hey, I'm not going to lie. I used to imagine like that all the time as a kid. But (laughs) when you're a teenager and you're imagining that shit... That's just sad, man. Yeah, uh, it's almost like the characters on the show are all kind of insane (laughs) a little bit. Because the Toxic Rats are now an all-guys team, obviously, they don't know shit about fashion. So Sam consults the only fashion expert that he knows of, which is Dakota. (laughs) Yeah, Dakota gives him some fashion advice. I think she says something about stripes being in. So he ends up putting stripes on their model, which I guess we should get into the models. The, the mutant maggots find another mutant maggot in the wild and they dress that thing up. But the uh, toxic rats decide who would be a better model than Sasquatch and Aqua, who is still hanging out on the island. And so they abduct him as their model. They dress him up in stripes, but unfortunately, to their dismay, they find out that they did the wrong form of stripes. I think it was <laughs> like vertical stripes make you look bad. Yeah, and Saskatchewanaka gets so upset about how embarrassed he looks, he abducts Lindsay and runs off, meaning that the challenge is now going to have to be to rescue her. Boney Island. Oh, yes, it takes her to Boney Island. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, listen to our first episode or watch Total Drama Island. This is the scary, tiny offshoot island full of dangerous beasts. Although that doesn't mean much anymore since all of Wawanaka was now full of dangerous beasts. Which makes the perfect spot for Chris's newest tropical resort. Oh yes, that's right. While renting out Wawanaka to a toxic waste company, he decided to try to convert Boney Island to his own private resort. Which goes as well as you expected. 
<laughs> yep. So during the challenge, obviously Sasquatch and Aqua isn't going to let Lindsay go because she's the only one that shows sympathy towards him. Yeah. So, so while brainstorming, the view maggots suggest that, oh, let's just attract him with another beautiful lady. But who can they get to rival Lindsay's charm? Joe. My <laughs> God. Yeah, so uh, Anne-Maria applies some makeup to Joe. <laughs> they try to doll her up to try to distract uh, Sasquatch and Aqua. And meanwhile, the toxic rats, they're not really sure how to approach this, and ultimately it's going to end up being on Sam, who is in one of his video game withdrawal lapses. <laughs> he basically hallucinates everything as if it was Donkey Kong. Yes. We're talking about the original Donkey Kong from 1981. Yeah, like Sasquatch and Aqua as Donkey Kong and the scaffolding from the construction of Chris's resort as the scaffolding that Mario has to climb up. So um, with this renewed burst of energy, he jumps up. Unfortunately, his hero moment falls flat as he falls flat, actually, <laughs> literally, and fails to make it to rescue Lindsay. But before that, we get an interesting interaction between Zoe and Scott. Oh, that's right. Yes. Since Zoe is the nice girl and wants to make more friends, she's obviously gullible, so she easily falls for Scott's trickery, saying that, oh, without Dawn, we can't communicate with Sasquatch and Aqua, and it's all my fault. Hoo hoo hoo. <laughs> yep. And again, Zoe, this is a combination of Zoe being just a very gullible character, and also, Zoe doesn't know Scott, really. You know, they haven't really talked. The teams don't, again, like I said, teams don't really interact much outside of challenges here, or really at all outside of the challenges here. And so Zoe doesn't really know Scott. Maybe it's fair understanding that she might say, oh, I guess this is the kind of guy Scott is. But yeah, that this is this interaction is going to become important uh, for the next episode. But uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. But not before the Mew Maggots once again win the challenge. Because thanks to Chester, yes, Chester, <laughs> who rushed Joe's makeup, Sasquatch and Aqua obviously made fun of her, which caused <laughs> Joe to uppercut him off the cliff winning the challenge. Are we sure they're not living in a video game? Maybe Sam's on to something. Because I don't think most teenage girls can uppercut Bigfoot, <laughs> like, yards away. <laughs> but, uh, whatever. Yeah, so Toxic Rats lose again. And, predictably, Sam is going to be the one eliminated again. He's kind of the fish out of the water on the team now. He's not strong. He kind of screwed up this challenge. But he does get a little wholesome moment at the end where him and Dakota admit their feelings for one another before he is catapulted away. And nobody saved Lindsay. <laughs> no one saved Lindsay. They, they kind of forgot about Lindsay. But before the episode ends, Chris says to the TMs, hey, I need two of the strongest players to come up for some special prize. Joe thinks she's the strongest on her team. Scott thinks he's the strongest on his team. So they both stand up. Chris reveals that once again this season, there's going to be a team switch. And since they just volunteered themselves, they're going to be the ones switching teams. Joe joins Brick and Lightning. She is now a toxic rat. Scott joins Anne-Maria, Mike, Zoe, and Cameron. He is now a mutant maggot. Aw, yeah. Team dude remains the same. Ow! Get your eyes checked, dumbass. <laughs> I love the rivalry between Lightning and Joe. And now that they're on the same team, their interactions just got a whole lot better. Oh, man. So that leads us nicely to the next episode. A mine is a terrible thing to waste. This is fairly standard. Um, Chris reveals that there is a series of caves, tunnels, and mines underneath the island and that the teams have to go exploring down there to retrieve a sort of uh, trophy 
for each of their teams from this dark, deep uh, cave and uh, bring it. And whoever makes it back is safe, pretty much. Whoever doesn't or makes it last, they're sending somebody home. And to make this challenge even more difficult, they had to wear these heavy-ass backpacks that are implanted with death traps, saying that, oh, you have an hour to complete this challenge or else those backpacks will explode. (laughs) Yeah, like, again, we're past the point where Chris just kind of doesn't care if they die or not. We're now at the point where he's actually, like, almost rooting for it. It's kind of insane. Chris is literally watching all this, and even Sony pointed out, it's like, oh, Chris is watching. I knew he wouldn't let us die. Uh, don't count on it. (laughs) Yeah, and not to mention, since this is a cave and there's toxic gas everywhere, it's also going to be very tough for them to breathe. So, uh, yeah, no, not, not fun. Not fun for them. What also isn't fun is getting chased by these giant blind mutant gophers. Yeah, and as a demonstration of how mutated the mines are, he reveals that he sent Dakota down there, who has now lost all of her hair and is going to be pretty much stuck in the infirmary for a little while, which this is going to come up in the next episode, I promise. But yeah, the mutant maggots are helped by another one of Mike's new personalities in their exploring of the cave. Eric, if you'd like to get into that. Manitoba Smith, an Australian explorer who's highness sexist, I think. Something like that, or at least very flirty. Yeah, not on the same level as Vito, but <laughs> toned down a bit. Yeah. He's more egotistical, I should say. He's so sure of himself. And uh, if you couldn't tell from the name, Manitoba Smith is a parody of Indiana Jones. In this case, he's an adventurous, confident, plucky explorer type guy. And so he is perfectly capable of leading his team through these caves. Meanwhile, oh, yeah. Scott is having a difficult time making his team lose because have you looked at the Mew Rackets track record? They won almost every challenge. So of course, <laughs> it's going to be difficult for Scott. He even oh, openly yeah. said that in the confession. He's like, how the hell am I going to make my team lose if we keep winning? Although, of course, a lot of this isn't helped by the fact that he helped them win many times. He's already kind of been the Mutant Maggots MVP, even when he was a toxic rat. Yeah, big surprise. Cameron doesn't trust him, and it's been revealed since episode 3, I think, that Cameron is aware of Mike's multiple personalities, so he promises to help Mike control them if he forms an alliance with him to get rid of Scott. Mm -hmm. Mike, of course, agrees to this, and we have an alliance that's born. Meanwhile, Mutant Maggot and Maria get separated from the crew and winds up in the cave of pretty much the gopher headquarters in a way and of course the gopher king is none other than feral mutant ezekiel who still lost all sense of humanity since world tour yep and begins developing feelings towards Anne maria yeah so he tries to offer her things i i think it's funny one of the one of his little sign uh, autographs from the manhunt special is here he tries offering her the million dollars from world tour of course it's all burned up in lava so it's just ashes And then he offers her a diamond, which, of course, it's a huge diamond. So she is ecstatic. She takes it. She accepts it. And she is head over heels. She's very, very happy to have given this diamond. This is important (laughs) for the end of this episode. (laughs) Meanwhile, at the Rats, Brick and Joe are once again on the same team. So once again, different leadership styles clash. (laughs) But Brick ends up getting separated from Joe and Lightning. We probably should have mentioned this before in episode four. But Brick is afraid of the dark, so this episode is more or less him trying to conquer his fear. Mm-hmm. Much like Cameron had to conquer his fear of spiders in that other episode, Brick is now confronting his fear of the dark. Ultimately, his desire to help people in need overcomes his fear of the dark, and he proves himself. Unfortunately, the people in need are his other team, or the other team, the mutant maggots. 
And by helping them, he slows his own team down, and uh, the mutant maggots are able to win. And you can imagine Joe and Lightning are not very happy about this. Honestly, that was kind of wholesome. Even though Brick's no longer on their team, he still went back to help them. Yeah, he saw that they were in danger, so he went back, you know? Very heroic, very admirable, and even though he is eliminated for it, even though Lightning and Joe do not forgive it, the other team shows their respect by saluting him on the dock and showing their appreciation. And then, immediately, the touching moment is interrupted by Anne-Maria, who announces to Chris that she's quitting the competition because she now has a giant diamond, which she thinks is way more valuable than the million-dollar prize. Until, of course, Chris tells her that it is a fake. And right before she could change her mind, Chris just launches the catapults. <laughs> yep, <And> so... Uh... <laughs> literally before the episode ends, Chris was about to fire Dakota because, you know, she's not working out as an intern. No surprise there. But according to his contract he has with Dakota's father, he can't fire her or else he'll lose all his money. So what yeah. does Chris do? Bring her back to the game. So she's now part of the Mew and Maggots. Yeah, I mean, Anne Maria just quit. So he's, his, his thinking is, okay, just take her place then. Again, Dakota's dad is very, very, very rich. Again, he's, she's a Paris Hilton parody. So her father's like the Hilton Hotel guy. In this case, I guess the Milton Hotel guy. And he's promising him Chris big bucks if Dakota's allowed on the show. So Chris doesn't want to lose any of that sweet cash. So as you said, Eric, she's back. For the next episode, she's back on the Mutant Maggots for uh, the Treasure Island of Dr. McClane. And the Toxic Rats are now the first team in Total Drama history, other than Team Victory, which was a joke team in a way, uh, to have only two members left. I guess you could say this is the first time there's been two teams and one of them only has two members. (laughs) One quick moment before we elaborate on the episode. One of my favorite moments was when, after Brick got separated from Joe and Lightning, they notices that their badges return orange or something. It's like, oh no, that means we only have 15 minutes left to live. I never kissed the Super Bowl, and I never kissed the guy. And then Lightning had like a death stare, and he's like, uh, that's cool, bro. Lightning don't judge. Because <laughs> once again, funny. Lightning still thinks Joe is a dude. <laughs> but moving on to episode eight, the treasure island of Dr. McLean. So the teams wake up adrift in the middle of Lake Wawanaqua, each on like a poorly crafted wooden barge, and they have to pretty much make their way back to shore and figure out what they have to do from there. It's pretty much hidden treasure, and so they have to be the first team to follow this treasure map and dig up the hidden treasure, which is revealed to be Sam buried underground with past competitor Gwen. My God, they're treating Gwen dirty in this episode because isn't her biggest fear being buried alive? Yeah, I think she even says, like, I'm buried alive again. <laughs> yeah, so Gwen is forced to face her biggest fear stuffed into like a coffin with uh, with Sam. And the other teams have to pretty much find them before it's too late. <laughs> Very dark. Yes, there's not much activity going on with Joe and Lightning because obviously there's a team of two. So how much more can they stress that? Yeah, we just get general antics as Joe is kind of frustrated by Lightning's stupidity. So, as you can imagine, most of the episode is centered on the mutant maggots because we have Cameron trying to help Mike control his multiple personalities while Mm -hmm. also be suspicious about Scott. Scott trying to win over Zoe because, you know, he finds Cameron and Mike's interactions suspicious. Mm -hmm. And then you have Dakota trying to befriend Zoe, who's the only other female left on the team. Mm -hmm. But Dakota has bigger problems. (laughs) 
<laughs> literally bigger problems because as i said last episode chris forced uh dakota to be a guinea pig to testing those mines and it looked like all that happened was she went bald but now it's starting to seem like uh that's not the that's that was the least of her concerns <laughs> she started to grow green spiky hair scales sharp then, elbows yeah. <laughs> a tail yeah then of course then she just starts growing in height until she's pretty much a giant like 15 foot mutant because again this is no longer a reality show really it's <laughs> yeah. more it, it's fully just a cartoon and so yeah we could just have giant mutant 16 year old girls i'm not gonna lie to you i didn't like that I thought oh, that you're... was way too gimmicky. I thought... Yeah, like, th- it pretty much ruined Dakota as a character. Like, she's just going to be a mutant now forever. But that didn't matter to Sam. Oh, no. Because according to him, Dakota has evolved into his dream girl. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to know about what kind of uh, dream girls Sam pictures when he thinks of that. But, um, yeah, so at least Sam's happy and at least Dakota's happy with Sam. Oh, I should say also Dakota not only goes through a physical transformation, but also a mental transformation. She gets severely dumbed down, I guess, due to the radiation, becomes almost like only capable of Hulk speech, like Dakota smash, like that kind of thing. And as a result, she's extremely gullible, extremely reliant on Zoe, overprotective of Zoe, feverishly wants to find Sam. And uh, yeah, this is going to be her character now. (laughs) I know the Toxic Rats win, but I forgot how they won. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm guessing they just were the first to dig up the... To dig yeah, because um, I, I remember yeah. Dakota grabbed the chest, she chucked Gwen out and saved Sam. But <laughs> yeah, I think they found the spot first, and then Dakota just shoved them away so she can rescue Sam. Yeah, but Chris counted that still as a win for the rats because they were technically the ones to uncover the coffin. And so the mutant maggots are the ones who are eliminated. During the ceremony, it looked like Scott was going to be eliminated, but plot twist, Scott had the invincibility statue, which means mm-hmm. he's safe, which means, and get ready to say deja vu, there's only one other vote that's counted for, <laughs> and that's to Dakota. Mm-hmm. Although I believe Zoe does reveal like she was getting sick of Dakota's affection and voted too, <laughs> but Scott and Zoe voted for Dakota. Dakota did not seem to care much. She was just happy to have Sam, and so she takes the hurl of shame with dignity. And one thing to note is that Scott tricked Cameron into revealing Mike's alternate personalities. Yep. <laughs> Scott had kind of started catching on, and so pretty much goes up to Cameron and said, uh, oh, what's the deal with Mike's personalities? And Cameron's like, oh, you know about that? And Scott's like, no, but you just told me. <laughs> so now Scott has information Mike is trying to keep secret. I wonder if he'll try blackmailing him. I wonder if that fits into Scott's personality. Hmm. Yeah, it's a real mystery. <laughs> mm-hmm. Episode 9, Grand Chef Auto. <laughs> I love that GTA title. But um, anyway, we're at our final six, right? We have Joe and Lightning, and then you got Scott, Mike, Zoe, Cameron. This is the final six, and so Chris announces the teams are now merged. This challenge is going to be a go-kart race around the island in which you will spray paint a logo of your choice on different monuments around the island. First person to do all of this wins invincibility. And like we mentioned before with Chef, this is one of the only few episodes where Chef has a central role in the season. Ah, yes. (laughs) Because those go-karts that they have to race belong to Chef, and he is obviously pissed off about that. So much so that he has an army of laser-eyed chipmunks to protect his (laughs) go-karts. 
Yeah, uh, but Chris obviously doesn't really care. <laughs> he he wants to use the go-karts for the challenge. And two other big plot points in this episode is Chris is now building a giant monument of himself called Mount Chrismore. And he has brought Duncan to reveal or to kind of talk about the challenges. In his own words, he says that Duncan owes him a lot of screen time from skipping out on half of World Tour. Duncan, though, at his first chance he gets, just sprints away, steals a go-kart, and goes AWOL. Um, as he should. <laughs> yeah, as he should. He's there against his will, and he has no respect for Chris. And throughout the episode, Scott keeps blackmailing Mike about, oh, if you don't help me throughout the challenge, I'll tell Zoe about your multiple personalities. So what ends up happening throughout the episode, Mike is helping Scott against his will, while Zoe's suffering. Yep, and Mike can't help Zoe because every time he tries to, Scott says, hey, no, 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 you can't leave. I need you for something else. And Joe double-crosses Lightning, but that's not too important. <laughs> Yes, and it's also not that surprising. <laughs> but just when you think the challenge was over, we get a special message from Chris revealing that there's a fourth spot that they have to taint. And when you know it, it's Mount Chrismore. <laughs> Little did they realize it was Chef using the fake dead crystal from Total Drama Action <laughs> and just adding voice clips together to make it sound like Chris was speaking <laughs> as revenge for making Chris let them use his go karts. <laughs> he was like, Nobody touches my stuff. <laughs> Maniacal laugh. God, I love Chef in this episode. Yes, he's truly back to his uh, conniving roots. And I love how Chris is like, hey, where's everybody going? The challenge is over. You said that there was one more spot that we had to taint. What? Mal Chrismore? Duncan! <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, I think Duncan's like, oh no, I didn't do that. And then he blows up Mal Chrismore. Now that I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But in the end, Scott, thanks to Mike, is the very first to make it to Mount Chrismore and claim invincibility. Before that, Scott knocks out Mike, and then within his self-conscious, he has to fight with all of his personalities for control, which is not supposed to happen when you have multiple personality disorder, but whatever, it's a cartoon. Yeah, uh, it, it is a cartoon. And eventually he wins. He seems to establish a greater amount of control over his personalities. At this stage in the game, it almost looks like he's beaten it, but we know in All-Stars that's not true. And he tells Zoe the truth. He says, I have multiple personality disorder. Unsurprisingly, she says, I don't care. I still love you. You know, probably would have helped Mike if he had done that earlier. He wouldn't have been eliminated. <laughs> but yeah, so spoiler alert, I guess, Scott chooses Mike to be eliminated. <laughs> Just kind of for general trolliness. Even though Chris wanted him to choose Lightning. Oh, yeah. The prize this episode, too, not only is invincibility, but you get to choose who gets eliminated. And Chris does want Lightning gone. Lightning says, no, 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 choose Joe. Scott's like, nah, bye, Mike. Yeah. So Mike gives Zoe, like, a little medallion to remember him by and gets the Hurl of Shame, leaving Total Drama Revenge of the Island with its final five. Episode five. Up, up, and away in my pitiful balloon. The final five are each tasked with heading to a junkyard and fashioning a, I guess, an aerial vehicle of some kind, each getting a randomly chosen one, and making their way up to a blimp piloted by Chris and hosting old competitor Heather. Um, and first person to make it up there in their own little contraption claims invincibility in that night's elimination ceremony. Correction, Matt. In part one, they had to build their aircrafts. Lightning right. had to make a helicopter. Joe had to make a... No, wait. Cameron had to make a rocket. Sorry. Yeah. Zoe had to build a plane. Joe had to build a hot air balloon. 
and Scott had to pull the bird. And then during the second challenge, they were supposed to go through an aerial obstacle course. But what ends up happening, Heather ambushes Chris and Chef, hijacks his zip line, and tries to make a getaway with the million dollars. Because obviously, Heather is pissed off for losing her chances with the million last season. So she's briefly back to her evil roots. Yep. And this led to the funniest part of the episode, at least in my opinion. Uh, Chris, Heather's making a getaway with your air mobile zip line. Don't care. I got it to use aircraft garage sale <laughs> and my million dollars. Don't care. It's not my money. And all your jemmies, my jemmies. <laughs> you know what? Fuck the obstacle course. Everybody get on your aircrafts. The first one to take down that jemmy stealing hog wins. <laughs> right, yes. Here's your ammo. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Mutant mountain goat eggs. Wait, goats are mammals. They don't lay eggs. They also don't breathe fire unless they live here. <laughs> Yes. It's also noted that during the episode, Cameron and Joe sort of form an alliance. Joe is mostly using Cameron to build her aircraft and get her further throughout mm. the challenge. Meanwhile, Lightning was trying to convince him, like, oh, what are you doing? Joe's going to double cross you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, nice interactions over there. And also, we have Zoe obviously pissed off at Scott for rolling off Mike. So, eventually, she's going to get her revenge. Just not now. Um. So, what ends up happening since Cameron won the first challenge, he wins a smoke machine which Joe immediately takes like, oh, better you give it to me for safekeeping, <laughs> which we all know was bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually, Cameron stands up for himself in the smoke machine floating in Joe's face, which good on you, Cameron. She deserved it. And he crashes his rocket into the zipline, causing the zipline to fall and Heather's defeat. Mm -hmm. Since it was the rocket that did this, Chris grants Cameron immunity. And ultimately, Joe is eliminated just because kind of pissed off Cameron, pissed off Lightning. And I guess either Scott or Zoe saw him. I, my money would probably be on Scott since uh, Zoe would probably have voted for Scott. Let's be real. So Joe is eliminated. But not before giving Cameron some sort of respect. Because like, oh, why the hell would you vote for me? I learned from the best. <laughs> oh, you know what? Good technique, kid. But you, you're an idiot. You couldn't even tell I was a girl. You're a what? <laughs> yes. It took Lightning a good 10 episodes to realize that Joe was a girl. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh, good times. Episode 11, E puke and be wary. Chris reveals to the teams uh, that he, or the final four, Chris reveals to the final four that since it's been so brutal, he's actually going to give them a pretty decent challenge. Unfortunately, he then falls into one of Scott's traps for Fang like a stink bomb of some kind. And he's so furious that there's a stink bomb hanging around that he says, you know what? No, you're doing a disgusting challenge now. Too bad. And so he puts Chef in charge of a disgusting eating challenge where they have to cook something and then eat it after. Which is going to be taste tested by today's cameo, DJ. <laughs> Mike Duncan is brought here against his will. Yeah, so DJ is going to judge, runs away, uh, all that fun stuff. And we get to see a Final Four that really isn't that close to each other. We know Scott and Zoe don't trust each other. Zoe particularly hates Scott. But then you got Lightning and Cameron who are kind of just here. Despite being on the same team, Lightning and Scott never really developed that much of a kindred bond or even a relationship of any kind. So then you have Cameron who kind of is like close-ish to Zoe just by extension of Mike. Yeah. And then you got, of course, Scott's usual dirty tactics. Cameron knows how to cook. 
So Scott switches meals with him. All sorts of gross and slimy stuff. Since Scott is obviously a big threat, Cameron tried forming an alliance with Lightning so he could join him and Zoe in the volume off. But Lightning, eh, he's more of a guy that flies solo. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Cameron did help him get the weights off his chest, literally, because if you lose the first challenge, you have to wear these heavy-ass weights while racing across the forest. Mm -hmm. That said, Scott is the only one who doesn't puke his food because, of course, he steals Cameron, so he stole Cameron's victory. And then, yes, the four contestants have to do a race to a finish line. So, obviously, the first person to make it gets invincibility and is immune from tonight's vote. And so it is a kind of a neck-and-neck -neck race between shifty tactics by Scott and Cameron obviously not being incredibly fit. But during this challenge, we do get this sort of change in Zoe. Zoe ends up falling for one of Scott's traps, and in the process, that medallion that Mike gave her obviously means a lot to her. It gets broken. And so this is like she takes this as the last straw, totally adopts this new persona, put like Command a headband around her face, like the war stripes. <laughs> Commando Zoe. Yes, Commando Zoe. And Commando Zoe does not mess around. And so she makes sure that she will stop Scott at all costs. And so, you know, she's adept, very physically uh, able, jumps up trees without a second thought, and really proves to be quite a formidable foe for Scott. And Chef. And Chef, yes, of course, yeah. who's hunting them down. Real talk, it was Chef's fault that caused this. He shot it with like a giant fucking meatball or something. True, yes. So blame Chef at the end of the day, but... Of course, we we know Zoe still hates Scott, so he's going to get a lot of the blame. Scott was about to win the challenge, but Fang comes back to chase him, revealing that he's been chasing Scott for the past 10 episodes because he has his tooth. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, well, so Scott is eliminated. He gets the Toxic Marshmallow of Loserdom and a free hurl of shame with Fang, which will probably be violent. But during the invincibility selection, Lightning crosses the finish line but finds out that Cameron was hanging onto his back, and so Cameron got invincibility. Lightning is furious and vows revenge against Cameron for stealing his immunity by kind of just, like, mooching off of him, and so vows in the next final three to take him out. The Enchanted Frankenforest. Yes, our final three episode. Chris has the final three kind of race through one of the most disgustingly irradiated parts of Wawanaqua, this gross forest full of toxic plants. In this case, uh, he brings up one particular plant, the Venus flytrap. Larry was his own pet that he left on the islands at some point during the events of Islander Action and has since become very, very mutated. And the goal for invincibility is to work your way through this disgusting forest and steal the flower from Larry's tongue. Whoever does that wins immunity. We already established that Lightning is pissed off at Cameron, so he's now focused more than ever to win this challenge so he can personally destroy Cameron in the finale. Mm -hmm. And since Zoe is the only friend that Cameron still has, he tries to make sure that their alliance is still intact, but he can't seem to get through to Zoe because, you know, she's still under her new persona. Yeah. And uh, Zoe's new persona is also kind of a lone wolf, very much like, oh, Cameron, you know what? Go deal with lightning yourself, man up. She will begrudgingly help Cameron, but throughout the challenges, since Cameron is very physically weak, she starts getting very tired of him, very, like, fed up. Like, oh, come on, Cameron, start pulling your weight. Lightning's going to get ahead of us. So as they're making their way through the jungle or forest or whatever it is, Lightning goes by himself. You know, he's pretty stupid, but he's got a lot of endurance. And then, meanwhile, you got Zoe kind of helping carry Cameron. 
We also get another cameo from Ezekiel because, which I think was a bit unnecessary because he already got a cameo, but whatever. Yeah, I guess he is basically a mutant at this point. <laughs> That's right, I forgot about that. He tries to climb out of a cave and then he gets squashed. <laughs> Zoe was about to win the challenge, but realizing that her friendship with Cameron is much more valuable, she gives up the challenge to go save him. And was, his, all, his life was also in danger too. <laughs> with Lightning ending up winning the challenge, earning him a spot in the final two. Mm-hmm. And during the elimination ceremony, Lightning gets to choose who to take with him to the finale. Cameron was about to volunteer for elimination, but it turns out Lightning chose Zoe to get eliminated. He knows that she's going to be a much more worthy opponent. And like I said before, he wants to personally destroy Cameron in the <laughs> finale. Yep. Real talk, like, I like Lightning as a character, but this is where I just get, like, fed up. Like, it just feels like they needed a reason for him to hate Cameron. And it, it, it's just, it, like, strikes me as almost like, Really, Lightning, you're still on this? Like, you've lost so many challenges this season. Why is this particular one so annoying to you? Because they only have a few episodes left, so invincibility is actually vital at this stage in the game. I suppose you're right. So yeah, so that leads us very nicely into Brain versus Brawn, the ultimate showdown. The first time, and currently only time in Total Drama history, where the finale was not a boy versus a girl. In this case, we got two dudes... Uh, Mutant Maggot Cameron versus Toxic Rat Lightning. I love this episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great episode. So pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Brain versus Brawn. Chris reveals that the final battle will be a physical battle. <laughs> they will have 10 minutes or so or whatever to build whatever weapons or armor or whatever they want to use. And then they will just have a head-to-head -head fight. And it's wrestling rules. So whoever is down for a certain amount of seconds loses and they also have to avoid any new monsters that chris will summon which he can unleash whenever he feels like it according to him he says i think when he gets bored and he gets bored very easily so surprisingly enough every mutant pretty much shows up in addition to every previously limited contestant who chris brings back to view the show we also learned that earlier in the episode the stakes are much higher for our finalists if they don't win the money mm-hmm Cameron learns from his mother that if he doesn't win the million dollars, they'll have to give up bubble insurance or whatever the proper term was. Yeah, the, the bubble is just too expensive to maintain. As for Lightning's dad, who's probably a multi-million dollar athlete or some shit like that, he bet his five championship rings on Lightning winning the competition. And if he loses, he loses his rings. Mm-hmm. So the stakes are very high. If Cameron loses, he his life pretty much changes permanently. And if Lightning loses, holy cow, his already hard-to-impress dad is probably going to hate him. <laughs> and what's interesting about the eliminated contestants, in previous finales, they more or less get to choose who they want to win. But here, since we have one Toxic Rat and one Union Maggot, the eliminated contestants are forced to cheer for whatever contestant was on their original team. Which gets a little confusing when you think about how many times teammates are, like, switched teams and stuff. I admit I was a little confused as to Brick, Joe, and Scott sometimes, but that also might be just because I wasn't paying attention. Well, then again, Joe is still kind of pissed off at Cameron for eliminating her, mm -hmm. and everybody more or less cheers for Cameron because, obviously, he's the nicer one of the two. Yeah, no one really likes Lightning. <laughs> Nobody has that strong of a connection to Lightning. And so, yeah, everybody kind of wants Cameron to win for the most part. Bro, I lost my shit when Cameron turned to Iron Man. <laughs> that was yeah. fucking awesome. 
So it almost becomes Thor versus Iron Man. In a um, way. Coincidentally, the Avengers came out the same year as this, in which, yeah, Cameron assembles literally Tony Stark's Iron Man armor, like with little glasses, red and yellow color palette. And Lightning assembles pretty much like like a, a frying pan helmet and uh, like this mannequin leg with spikes in it and ultimately gets struck <laughs> by Lightning, which powers him up somehow and turns his hair white in the no. middle of the battle. So while they're fighting, Chris's remote to unleash the monsters gets destroyed. So all the mutant monsters are running amok, capturing all the eliminated contestants. And Cameron, being the both figurative and literal superhero that he's satirizing, <laughs> focuses on saving everyone, while Lightning focuses on trying to pin him down. Mm-hmm. And this will only make people like him even more. And depending on your country, but Cameron's, in, in every ending, Cameron's suit runs out of power because he made it in like an hour. Huh, little rhyme there. Depending on your country, Cameron's suit will either collapse onto Lightning, technically pinning him and winning it, or Lightning will fall onto Cameron's suit, technically pinning him and winning it for Lightning. And so in either ending, Cameron reveals that he doesn't need his bubble, either because he either doesn't have access to it anymore because Lightning has the money, or he feels like he's matured enough where he doesn't ever need it again. In Cameron's ending, he also decides to spend the money on all of his friends, which is all of his fellow competitors. Meanwhile, Lightning is, you know, obviously Lightning, and he's going to keep all that money to himself. <laughs> that was great. It was pretty obvious that they wanted Cameron to be the winner of the two. Yeah, I mean, I get it. There's no official winner, but yeah, I think if there was one, it would probably be him. Okay, bro, I am convinced that the reason why Cameron won Revenge of the Island was because Cody didn't win World Tour. Like, I oh. bet you so many people were so pissed off that Cody didn't win World Tour that the writers were like, you know what? Let's make the next nerd character we make triumph in the end. Yeah, that's actually a very good theory, especially considering we've never really had a nerd win before. I mean, I don't really count Beth as a nerd. She's more of just like a preppy girl with glasses. But no, like the, the dweeb has never won because Harold never won and Cody never won. And so it's good to see, I guess, in that respect, Cameron emerge victorious. So all the contestants leave the island. But right as Chris was signing out, the RCMP show up to arrest Chris for hosting a show on a nuclear waste dump. <laughs> and my God, was it so satisfying for Chris to finally get justice? Yeah, he'd never been arrested before. He talked about legal issues before, but never this bad. So the, se the season ends with the other contestants laughing, riding off into the sunset, and Chris having to face the music for all the horrible things he did on this season. So overall, Revenge of the Island, I like it. Sure, there wasn't that much interactions between the cast. Part of that due to the fact of the cast being so small. Yeah. But as an attempt to deviate from the original cast, I think they did a solid job. I wouldn't say it's on par with the first three seasons, but I still like the season. The characters were interesting, a little bit cartoony. I know that's kind of what we've been establishing throughout this retrospective. But nonetheless, I like Revenge of the Island. And it's definitely the best out of the newer seasons that we've gotten so far. Oh, well, when you look at Revenge of the Island, All-Stars, and Pocketoo Island, this looks like a god compared to those two. That said, I do think a lot of the writing is weak. I don't necessarily blame just the fact that there's new writers. I think that they were also pressured with having a 13-episode season for the very first time. If this was 26 episodes, maybe you throw in maybe two or three new contestants, too, to like a 15- or 16-person cast. I think this looks like a lot better of a season with that. But again, like you said, they were kind of cramped first time cramped for uh, room with the contestants to do things. 
And so as a result, it's a little rushed sometimes. We do get some pretty nice contestants here. And it is it kind of sucks because if you have a contestant this season that you like and they weren't in All-Stars, you never see them again. Unlike in the first generation, which had three seasons to itself, the Revenge cast gets one and a half seasons. <laughs> you know, it gets half of All-Stars for with some characters, and it gets this season. That's it. So unlike the other first generation cast, they never really get fleshed out as much, which is kind of sad because people out there will say this cast is definitely worse than the originals. But I think maybe if they had another season or two with these characters, they might not have been as weak. But I don't know. That's just me. It kind of sucks because... There are a lot of characters with a lot of good potential, like Brick, B, Dawn, and Maria, who they just get screwed and they never come back. And if you like them, tough. And that's kind of sad. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a new season with these characters because yeah. some of them I actually liked. But yeah. what are you going to do? This is merely just an experiment with how future seasons are going to play out. And as their first attempt, like I said, it wasn't great, but, you know, I commend their efforts. But God help me when we talk about All-Stars. Yeah, so up next on this miniseries, we're tackling what some fans call the worst total drama season. Oh boy, <laughs> we have quite an adventure ahead of us, Eric. God, I'm getting a fucking migraine just by thinking about it. <laughs> we can take the time in between our season three and four to pr- mentally prepare ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but what about all you people that are listening right now? What do you think of total drama of Revenge of the Island? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Let us know in our Discord server. A link will be provided, as always, along with the link to our Instagram page, at Geeks Crossing. Continue to support us on all available platforms, such as Anchor, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and even Amazon Music and Audible. And tell your friends and family, anyone you know in your life, about this podcast, especially those total drama fans in your life. And more importantly, stay true to your geek selves.